0: All right, Jeff, we're back for Cut for Time, and we are talking about your sermon, The Church, from Acts eleven nineteen 19 through 30. Can you give us a rundown from your sermon on Sunday?
1: Yeah, so uh, we're you know continuing this look at the church expanding according to Jesus' promise and His commission, and this is now... Almost like it's just like the, the ripples are getting bigger and bigger out from the center, right? So we've seen the gospel go to Samaria and to this Ethiopian you know, court official. And then Peter's at this Gentile's home in Caesarea. But now for the first time, the gospel has crossed like a really major boundary, which is not God-fearers, not people that, you know, okay, they're Gentiles, but they have some awareness, respect for the Bible and the God of the Bible. These are just like pagans. And for the very first time, we see some Jewish followers of Jesus crossing these cultural boundaries and ethnic boundaries and taking the gospel to Gentiles and how God is working through that in really significant ways. And so what we see is there are some similarities to what we've heard before about what the church looks like and how the church expands. But there's some differences, too, that that get brought out. And that's what I kind of focused on, which is this new identity as Christians that becomes our primary identity, because uh, Luke mentions this is the first time that followers of Jesus are called Christians because there's no cultural or religious or ethnic or linguistic identifier that encapsulates all of these people sure. because there's sort of a conglomeration of all these different backgrounds. And so the church has now become something that's not uh, contained within a cultural group or an ethnic group or a particular location. So now being a follower of Jesus becomes the thing that identifies me more Mm -hmm. than all those other identities. And then it changes my priorities, too. And there's just this, this great little insights. We didn't even have time to get into all the really neat things that Barnabas sort of does and represents there. But he sort of embodies this um, humility and a partnership in ministry that we haven't really seen before either, uh, which is kind of unique and encouraging and, ex- and exciting and uh there there yeah there's even uh uniqueness uh, unique things that God is doing through Barnabas that <clears throat> I think are really encouraging for us too in our context
0: okay um so what are some of those encouraging things that he's doing that would encourage us
1: yeah so um we talked a little bit about this you know unique kind of ministry that's almost captured in his name he is a son of encouragement and this word that, the Greek word that we translate in our English Bibles often as encouragement or exhortation is this kind of unique combination of both being gentle and sympathetic and coming alongside people, but also being very directive and saying, here's where we need to go. And Barnabas just sort of embodies that in in his life and in his ministry. But beyond that, there's also just this, you know, part of the reason that it's unique and and it's worth slowing down to pay attention to is how much Barnabas sort of pops up here and there through the book of Acts and other places in the New Testament. But he's not a main character, right? Like he's not the guy that advances the story. He partners with Paul. He partners with other people. He partners with John Mark. But there's no book of the Bible, you know, written by Barnabas. He's the guy that's sort of behind the scenes, and making ministry happen for other people. Like, he's advancing Paul. Without Barnabas's intervention in this passage, where he goes to Tarsus and brings Saul back to teach and instruct for a year in Antioch, Antioch is the church that sends Barnabas and Paul out, out on their missionary journey. So Barnabas is just like the ordinary everyday Christian, kind of like we are, that's working behind the scenes and maybe teaching, but encouraging and building people up and helping provide some wisdom and discernment and advancing other people's ministry in really significant ways that allows the gospel to go forward in incredible dimensions and connections. But it's because of this kind of ordinary behind the scenes guy, Barnabas, like Mm -hmm. us, which I thought is just, that's really cool. Right? Like, so much happens because of Barnabas, but he's never the center of the story. And it's what's so that's really encouraging for me, right? Like God can be working through the ordinary encouragement and exhortation that I'm giving to other people and doing amazing things that I may never get any credit or recognition for, but I'm playing a part in it, mm-hmm. which is really kind of cool.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's encouragement to all of us. Um, Tell us more, a little bit more about Antioch, if you would give us more context to what the city is like and where they're placed at this moment in the book of Acts.
1: So uh, Antioch is itself kind of significant in the story because it's now itself a very different kind of place that the gospel is going to. Jerusalem is not a very big city at this point in time. And it's, you know, very definitely has a ethnic, religious, Jewish character to it. Antioch is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Uh, They estimate uh, half a million or more people lived in Antioch. It was uh, a wealthy trading center. It was uh, understandably then multicultural, uh, polytheistic, very secular. Antioch had a reputation for being very immoral. Uh, you know, like we hear about the city of Corinth sometimes. It was the same kind of thing with Antioch. They were just known for cultic prostitution. And I mean, it was just uh, incredibly immoral in terms of what we would say as Christians. And yet, again, the encouragement is here we see the gospel making a significant impact. Like Antioch, the church in Antioch grows to become probably the most significant church in the early years of Christianity and becomes the place that missionaries are sent out from. And in this very lost pagan, uh, successful, wealthy, immoral culture, which sounds a lot like the world we live in. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's very hopeful. I think for us, like the gospel is not constrained to, you know, a religious culture, where people are you know already have some kind of you know biblical awareness or gospel knowledge uh, or even kind of general moral standards. the gospel is advancing here in significant ways in in a context that, on the surface, maybe as Christians, we would think, oh man, the gospel is not going to make any inroads in a place like Antioch, but it really does. And again, I think that's incredibly encouraging for us. Like if the spirit can work and move and draw people to Christ in Antioch, he can do that anywhere. He can do it in Indianapolis. He can He can do it wherever we we're connected and wherever the gospel is going. So in my neighborhoods, you know, in in my secular coworkers who just seem so, you know, uninterested in Jesus and so far from the gospel. Yeah. But that's Antioch. And here we see this amazing work of the gospel through God's people. So that's that's really encouraging, I think, too.
0: Yeah. Um, and so do you ever, you know, hear or f- even just like feel the. Um, the truth of the words of like we're in unprecedented times like people feel like we're doomed when you hear people say that do you feel like this example of the gospel working its way into Antioch is how you say like no like it's it's really not that much different or do you think yeah it is different but I still believe in the power of the gospel you know
1: um yeah I mean sure it's it's of course it's different because it's you know a iron age city of 2000 years ago in the roman empire and so obviously a lot of things are different but human nature is not any different and Mm -hmm. big cities always have those same kinds of both challenges and opportunities right like there's a lot of ideas floating around but that means there's a lot of immorality there's a densely packed in population i mean in like you can read the roman histories and there's disease and warfare and you know, people bemoaning the you know immorality of the culture and corruption and and all those kinds of things. So in a lot of ways, it's very much the same kinds of challenges. And yeah, maybe the you know our technological age in that sense, is sort of a new thing, and we're we're figuring out how do we Live as a community and build community and maintain community when so much is happening online and it seems to be pulling us apart from each other. But, you know, th- those are not new challenges that the gospel is facing either. And that the gospel could go out in power and transform tons of people's lives in Antioch should be an encouragement to us, even if it's not exactly the same. It's an example of a worldly rich secular polytheistic non-religious immoral society where the gospel is doing amazing work and and i think that's you know this is again sort of the a transition into this next big outward movement of the gospel through the book of acts where we're going to see these missionary journeys where paul and barnabas or paul and silas are traveling to all these different kinds of cities and contexts and we're seeing the gospel make an impact in Mm -hmm. ephesus and in corinth and in all kinds of cities where you know from starting from jerusalem or judea you would think how in the world is that gospel message going to be relevant to people in thyatira or laodicea and yet it is, and it works. And, and that's what gives us hope and encouragement too. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing to cling to,
1: Um, you know, the, the other, the other note that Luke inserts that we've again heard before is, uh, you know, the hand of the Lord was with them and many, you know, and so the spirit's working, it's a reminder Um, for for many of us who are going through the life-to-life evangelism training, and uh, one of the things that we've been talking about recently is praying that God would open doors, open hearts, and open our mouths to speak. Because the the power of the gospel is there, God is at work, but it's a reminder, too, that God's the one that's working behind the scenes, and that's what we want to be praying for and hoping for, too, Yes, we can go out with confidence because of the power of the gospel and the presence of the spirit, but we need to be praying for that too, because God's the one who opens hearts and God's the one who opens doors. And we're the ones who open our mouths with a message that has a life giving power to it, but that's in combination with our praying and asking God to open doors and open hearts for the yep. people that we're running across. And he does. I mean, that's just, that's amazing. But it, it reminds me again of uh, how important it is for me to be praying for those things for the people in my neighborhood and, and the ones I'm trying to reach.
0: Yep. And um, to strike that balance, when you do open your mouth to be the person who can um, speak truth and love or kindness leads Mm. to repentance right like Mm. um like barnabas who like the gospel is taking root where he is speaking and teaching and like it's he's firm but he's like gracious and loving and so praying that we can be that way too
1: yeah yeah that's good
0: all right thank you jeff for your time
1: thank you claire
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.